Hey everyone, I'm Kari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSI Talk. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another week, another episode of Since I Talk. Hi. Before we begin, this is a safe space for you, okay? So whenever you want to come here, just to chill out, just to forget about the world around you and just listen to two girls talking about their favorite science friend fighting show with you. If I sound tired, it was because it's almost midnight for me, so. Your girl's been studying a lot lately, so that's why I'm tired. And this girl's been writing nonstop since November. Well, yeah, yeah. A different kind. Yeah, so, so unfortunately, there is no this week on CSI history because historically, this is the week of March Madness. It's um, one of the two weeks. Yeah. And, but we got some good news. We probably heard about it. This is coming back. Just days after my birthday. Yep, on um, March 30th, he's coming back. He's finally coming back. We don't know why he's coming back. And we we don't know a lot, really. But we did a reading, an interview that came out on TV Insider, if I'm not mistaken, that he did, uh, that uh, we were right. He went on to write, my bo- write more books, you know, you know sim- in a similar pra- path as David Rossi in Criminal Minds. But apparently he stopped being a CSI, but he never fully retired. I guess when you were an investigator, you never really stopped investigating things, right? And he's coming back. We don't know if he's going to be back as a consultant or if Max is going to invite him to be a regular. I mean, we would love if he becomes a regular again. Like, yep. that would be great. Because if she can't. Greg wasn't a regular until what season? I can't remember right now, but in the early seasons. I think it's like 304. Until 304, he wasn't a regular. And then he stopped being a lead rat and became a CSI. And then the team got divided and he was working for both Catherine and Grissom. And well. And seemed to become the CF, truly doing his tests with Grissom. He didn't. He walked a little bit with Catherine, but he was technically on Catherine's on Grissom's team. He was, yeah, he was technically on Grissom's team, but he had to work for Catherine because he had to fulfill some hours as training. And well, this episode, the episode that we're breaking down today, it's called what is it called, Bree? Dog. Dog. Well, we got reminded of this episode because. On the episode third time is the charm. And there was a food contest. And it reminded us of this specific episode. So we decided why not break down. Well, so if you watch the whole CSI Crimson investigation, you have probably realized that whenever what I call a very heavy episode happens, what immediately follows is a lie 
recorded episode, even though this is the current show, the episode that immediately follows a very heavy episode, it's a kind of like a lighthearted episode. I mean, it still is a crime show. Still, somebody died. It's still pretty gross. If you lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yeah, but I mean, also, I just watched the movie The Whale with Brendan Fraser, you know, the guy from The Mummy. I think most people with Gen Z knows who Brendan Fraser is. He also made a couple trips to the center of the earth. Journey to the center of the earth. Yeah. Great acting on that movie. And he was blacklisted for a while. He was blacklisted for a while, but I mean, he's a great acting on that movie. And he's now an Oscar winner. He's now an Oscar winner. So I did watch the movie in the great acting. Gray makeup. Uh, okay, so the official synopsis for Dog Eat Dog is when a man is found dead in a dumpster on Thanksgiving, having literally eaten himself to death, the CSIs retrace his steps to find out how it could have been, how it could have happened. Meanwhile, a divorcing couple are found dead together on the floor of their house where their dog becomes the first suspect. Okay, so there are two cases happening. Grissom is working the case where the, the guy is found on the dumpster. Grissom, Catherine, and Brass. Grissom, Catherine, and Brass. Brass is not really, I mean, he's not, uh, he, I mean. The he ex- just got feared from the review board from, from the police shooting. Yeah. The episode yeah. that happened before this one was A Bullet Runs Through, parts, parts 1 and through, 1, 1 and 2. Bullets Runs Through, parts 1 and 2. And Brass, I thought that Sophia had fired the fatal shot, but it actually was him. The CSIs found out that it was him. So the people inside the department, they were not actually seeing Brass with good eyes, that's until Brass quite literally almost dies to save a victim. So, yeah. The main case the, is the case that Grissom is working for. That is the case that we were reminded of, and that's also the case that, that Greg is working for, too. And Why are you gonna be so mean? <laughs> I just rewatched the episode today. So the man was found in the dumpster, and they actually thought the man wasn't homeless at first because the man was found inside the dumpster. But Grissom thought, well, he's well dressed, so he obviously has a home. So there is a rest of substance on the body, and it looked to be blood. But it's actually cranberry sauce. So. Grissom being Grissom. Take the day. I mean, yeah. Grissom, am I right? I'm not going to call him dad. If you've been here long enough, you know what I want to, but. I'm not, not going to. I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> so. Dave. Says the TOD is to happen two hours before they found the body. And Catherine actually found 
Silver Age. Silver Age. Cool. Sounds familiar. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Silver Ink on the victim's cheek and also a mark on his forehead. So she thinks that he was probably thrown on the dumpster. And there was something that the victim was holding on to and that actually happened to be mashed potatoes. Well, so Grissom realizes that the victim has really short fingernails. And Catherine is like, well, maybe he tried to claw his way out of the dumpster. And because there was a scarring on one of his wrists and not on the other. So that's kind of suspicious. And, but David, he pulls a napkin from one of the victim's pocket that is from Aunt, Aunt Jackspot Pretzels. And then Catherine's like, oh, their food is really good. Okay. And then, oh, my favorite scenes. The morgue scenes. In the autopsy, Doc Robbins tells Catherine that the human stomachs, they have the ability to expand and hold up to four liters, which is true. Your stomach really does have the ability to expand. When you eat a lot, it has the ability to expand. Especially on a day like Thanksgiving. And also, I mean, that's why there are some surgeries out there that are mean that some people go through to... Gastro bypass. Yeah. They cut half of their stomach so they won't have to eat a lot. And for some, it does actually work. Yeah. I, I've known a few people who've had it. But Dr. Robin says that the victim's stomach had six liters on it. And the COD is as- asphyxia because of the compression of the lungs due to the gast- gastric dilation. So his stomach expanded so much that it compressed his lungs and that essentially made him stop breathing. And I recently learned there is a whole science behind this asphyxiation. And, well, there's a lot to learn about asphyxiation if you really want to know. There's a lot of ways to kill someone through asphyxiation. Well, so, Doc Frodens also says that, actually, the fingernails, they were chewed down, not pulled off. So he says that the victim did not try to claw him his way out of the dumpster. So he thinks that actually the COD technically is he ate himself to death. And so Catherine decides to go to the press stands and the vendor says that he does recognize the victim and says that the victim was cutting people in line and wanted to pretzel so much that he left a wallet behind. So Catherine opened the wallet and she found the picture of the victim with two other people 
along with a business card for Digger James, a promoter. He was a promoter for Extreme Eating Federation. So she calls the number, but hangs up because it goes straight to voicemail. That's a terrible way to run a business. So, okay, so this is, the following scene is literally, look, I, I know we're all here for the gore of CSI, okay? Okay, Bree's here for the learning. She said she's here for the learning, for the science. I am here mostly for the gore. But this next scene, you guys, I mean, it really makes me want to throw up. And, like, I say this, having seen a lot of CSI and a lot of death scenes on that show. But this next scene, I think, trumps all of the disgusting scenes for me. Because Hodges, he has to separate all of the food. But, he, but see, that's because he does not like the smell of hot dogs. That's like me and not liking the smell of cabbage. I think cabbage smells like feet. Well, so Hodges, he has to separate all the food that the dog found on the victim's stomach. So he separates them into cake, mac and cheese, pretzels, pasta, beef, shrimp, fish, and hot dogs. And most of the food was unchewed. Because the stomach takes up from two to four hours to digest the food. So the victim ate all of this food anywhere from two to four hours before he died. And and when the episode first began, they said that the victim had been dead for two hours. So that means that the victim had ate all of those foods two hours before he died. And also, this is like, the, this next one is like the most disgusting one for me. Hodges also had one of the containers called Weird. And it was a crumpled up piece of paper. And Grissom examines the piece of paper. And honestly, I was surprised that Grissom didn't put on some gloves and try to mess with the paper with his bare hands. He actually, you know, picks up some... What the name? What's the name? I don't know. He picks up some... Jesus, what is the name that I'm looking for? Well, whatever. So he picks up whatever Hodges has and he reads whatever it is on the paper. And it's actually an ad for Circus Town Buffet. And Hodges says that the silver ink on the victim's forehead was actually theater makeup. Well, so, so Catherine and Brass, they speak to the manager of the buffet and they... And... Greg buys a bunch of hot dogs. Yeah. Grissom goes on a little history lesson of hot dogs. I love this because I'm, I'm me. And found out that hot dogs have not always been called hot dogs. And around the 1880s at a baseball game, a German butcher was trying to sell his dogs and sausages. At a baseball game, of course, you know, the name hot dogs had to come from America's former greatest pastime. I don't, I say former because it doesn't seem like that anymore, which sucks for me because it's my favorite sport. But, so, oh, baseball hawkers wanted to sell them too. 
And, you know, being American, lazy. And we come up with strong words that mean the same thing. And they said, came up with hot dogs. That's actually a very creative name. And, of course, I have to be deceptive to Americans because I'm American and I see how we like to create certain versions of everything. Like, we took out one letter of the word color. Yeah. Well, so, the manager of the buffet told Catherine and Brass that the all-you-can-eat on the buffet, and she recognized the victim, but she said that the victim took the all-you-can-eat to the extreme because he actually ate everything. So she does say that he played on catch, but he still had the wallet on him. But the buffet didn't have surveillance. Also, when Greg bought every brand of hot dog that there is, Grissom told him that the lab was not going to pay for that. And that's when he did the history lesson. So when Brass is finally able to talk to Zegri, you know, the, the guy who was the manager, technically the manager for extreme eating, he identifies the victim as Jerry Gable. And Jerry had actually finished third in the hot dog eating contest the day before, which actually qualified him for eating in the Federation Finals. And put him in a picture on the newspaper and Digger also said that after the contest he gave Jerry his business card and left him alone and Catherine talks to another competitor on the competition and she takes a sample of his silver ink and takes it to the lab for comparison and this contestant tells Catherine that he was really mad that he got lost to Jerry. But he had realized that Jerry was a bit crazy. And... Not all there. <laughs> yeah. That's a more political correct way to say it. Yeah. And that actually Jerry had bumped into this contestant. That's how the transfer of the silver ink happened. And this contestant also tells Catherine that someone came to pick up Jerry and he identifies the person that was in Jerry's wallet. So Grissom goes through his textbooks instead of just Googling because, you know, what is the last well, time? episode was also in 2005. Yes, Google was around, but it was not a very good source. I remember that we won't know a lot to use Google yet. Yes, I was in elementary school, but we still had projects. We weren't allowed to use Google yet. Yeah, whenever I had a school project, I'll ask my dad for help. We had to use a thing called X. I mean, I would mix the two. I would go for books and the internet, but whatever. It so wasn't until I got to, like, eighth grade where we were allowed to use Google. So Grissom goes through his books, and he actually realizes that Jerry had oh my god I don't think I'm going to pronounce this right Jerry probably had crater will syndrome which is a rare genetic disorder that really causes a never ending uncontrollable hunger and Jerry actually fit the description 
So essentially, when you're eating and when you're full, your your stomach sends a message to your brain to say that it's full, so you don't eat anymore. And if you keep eating, you're gonna actually are you gonna feel bad? You're gonna feel ill if you eat anything more than your stomach can handle it. And people who have that syndrome. They are not able, like their stomach's not able to produce this message. Therefore, look, it's been a long time since I last watched a bio class. So if a doctor or a scientist is listening to this and I'm talking completely BS, I'm really sorry. But I'm 50% sure that I'm quite correct about this. Your stomach sends a message to your brain that it's full. And if you're eating anything else, you start to feel really sick. And when people that has this syndrome and they just keep eating, their stomach will not be able to send this message to the brain. So they just have to keep eating, but they will eat anything. Like literally anything. It doesn't even have to be food. Like we even selected on this episode, Jerry ate his meals and even a piece of paper. And people who has this type of illnesses, they actually have to be tied down so they won't eat anything. And there would be ways for Jerry to escape because the wound that we saw on Jerry's arm is probably because he had to be tied down. So Brass is able to track down his residence in this apartment rented under his sister's name, which is Susie. And they meet her boyfriend. And the actor that plays her boyfriend is also on Bones, if you recognize him from somewhere. He also plays an intern on Bones. And... Yeah. He plays the intern that had a past. Yeah, what a bathroom. And he said that he felt very bad for Jerry because Jerry would keep begging him for food and all that and he took him to the circus town buffet and when he saw an ad for a hot dog eating contest he just put Jerry into it and he wanted to make money off him but when they went home Jerry was still hungry and he left the car and ran down the street and he just lost Jerry and Susan didn't even know that until Catherine went to talk to her because she was in the hospital recovering from the surgery. And she said that she couldn't afford to get help for him because... Well, not that she couldn't afford it. It's just that he beats them up. I mean, yeah. And... But she needed to have surgery, so she needed to have that surgery so that she, she allowed her boyfriend to watch him. And that didn't go, that didn't end so well, but, well, as Catherine, uh, as she said, at least he died during something. He was happy for And, well, shall we talk about the other case? Yep. Okay, so on the other case, we have... Nick, Sarah, and Sophia's. One stash is back. Yeah, so Nick is an all a weird face. Face on the Which is understandable, but Yeah, I mean if you can so if you can remember now, 
grave danger happened. And... And actually, unfortunately, it was Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, grave danger happened. It was... Episode... Uh, it's a very long episode. Directed by... <laughs> yeah. Look, I found out pretty recently that there were actual ants running through George Pink's body. Technically, they were shooting a movie, not an episode. Yeah. Well, so yeah, Quentin Tarantino directed a movie, CSI movie. So technically, CSI had two movies, quote-unquote, Grave Danger and Immortality. Nick is not an immortality because at that point, Nick was on to San Diego. So what happened in Grave Danger is that Nick got kidnapped. It could have been any one of them. Actually, it could have been either him or Warwick, but he was suffering from PTSS. And he was on a weird face still. And well, so on that case is Nick, Sarah, and Sophia. And they are called to investigate the deaths of homeowners Michael and Lori Tinsley. So the they noticed that there is a beat up car in the driveway and it seems out of place in the neighborhood. And the registered owner doesn't live there. So inside, they find the bodies in the living room. And Laura's throat seems to have been cut by something jaggered, while Michael has an abrasion on his forehead, but no visible blood. And Lori also has a substance under her fingernails. There is blonde hair on both victims, although they were both brunettes, so that's very, that's very suspicious. So there's nothing valuable missing, so there's no robbery, so they just ruled out, just ruled that out. But Sarah noticed there is a, a cabinet with a bunch of vinyls, records on it. And she finds evidence that a bunch of them were removed. And Nick follows a blood trail out in the kitchen. And when he reaches the back door, he finds that the strike is loose, which actually would let an intruder in. And he steps outside and he sees that there's blood stains on the grass. And the water from the sprinkler literally washed away their evidence. So, I mean, talk about bad luck at a crime scene, huh? Yeah. they heard a noise down the hole. So, they draw their guns. Great. I mean, my boy Nick, he was already having PTSS. I mean, they heard a noise. I mean... And they draw their gun and they push the door open and they actually find a dog. And the dog is completely covered in blood. And the dog's name is after an alcohol. Kalua. And then they have to bring the, the, the dog for processing. And there is a tag called Jesse Menking. Actually, it tells Nick that the dog shows no signs of rabies. But they still need to be quarantined for 10 days. And she says that there could have been prior abuse prior to the attack, or it could have been just 
rage out of nowhere, which is a form of epilepsy associated with several breeds. And the dog will back on its owner, ready to attack, and then be completely normal. And a few minutes later, so they have to take uh, Kalua. Kalua? That's Kalua. And they have to take a lot to take biting impressions. So the owner of the car in the driveway, Missy, Missy Halter, they have to bring her in for questioning. And she tells Sarah that she lent her car to Michael because his was in the shop. So follow me here. Missy was having an affair with Michael because they were in the relationship because Michael and Lori, they were separated and they were in the middle of divorce. And she, Sarah tells her that her fingerprints were found inside the record cabinet. And Macy tells her that Michael actually gave her the keys to the house and the alarm code and the list of vinyls she was supposed to take. And Michael told her that he couldn't live without those albums and she didn't want Lori to take them to, in the divorce. Yep, this it was in between Beach Boys and Billy Joel, which anybody who knows music and knows music that was that's classic enough. It's the Beatles. The Beatles, of course. And all the boys. Not of course, the great. That that's what I said. The great. I grew up listening to the Beatles. I know they're great. So, it's confirmed that all the blood in the house actually belongs to Lori. And Sophia got in contact with the divorce lawyers. And they found out that Michael and Lori, they were fighting for everything. And then when Lori found out that Michael was getting his stuff back, she changed all of the, all of the locks and the alarm codes. So... Hodges was pretty stressed out because, I mean, understandable. I mean, he had to go through a stomach. He had to go through a lot that day, right? He tells Nick and Sarah that he wasn't able to process their evidence. But he does tell them that the hairs that they found on Michael and Lori, they were consistent with a dog of a golden retriever. And he gets really mad because the couple that died actually owned the breed. And that actually could have saved him a lot of time, which is understandable because he was probably going through the contents, the contents of the stomachs of uh, Grissom's victims. And we all know that Hodges prioritized Grissom's victims over everything else that he has to do. So, yep. Even though Gris told, Grissom told him not to do that. Yeah, but he was still do that. So, Brown knows David processed the body and he finds something in Michael's brain during the during the x-ray. And Doc Robbins opened it up and he finds a 22 caliber bullet in the brain. No blood was found in the scene because the blood was actually intracranial. So whoever shot him just shot him and the bullet stayed in the brain. So Sarah is actually surprised by it and said that they didn't actually look for gunshot residue at the scene. And Doc Robbins 
the Telter and Nick that the bullet entry was through Michael's nostrils. So it was through his nose. Which is one chance in a million. That's not actually how you shoot someone. Not usually. <laughs> so Sarah thinks that Michael broke into his house, pipped his own, and Laurie thought he was a robber and shot him. Which then provokes the dog into attacking her. And Nick actually wonders where the gun is if they died in the house alone. So Sarah goes back to the house to look for the gun and she finds a scratch mark on the floor because of course she does. She is the smarter CSI. Right? And she finds the gun underneath the couch. In the lab, Nick finds the teeth marks in Lori's neck. And they are actually inconsistent with Kaloa's teeth. So he actually thinks that they, based on the hair on both victims, a golden retriever did attack Lori, but it wasn't Kaloa because the impression on Lori's neck actually indicated that they were looking for a dog with broken teeth. So Hodges tells Nick, that the substance they found under Lori's fingernails was actually bacon grease. And then when he tells that to Sarah, and then Sarah tells him that the team's names were actually fighting over everything, even Kaloa. And according to Missy, Missy, the husband's girlfriend, the dog chose Lori so Nikki that Lori actually smeared her hands in bacon grease before the showdown. I mean, the showdown, which means, I mean, the technically is when they actually, is when kind of like a judge has the dog who she or he wants to be with. And to kind of influence Paloa, Lori's maid put bacon grease on her hands. So when she patted her hands, the smell of bacon grease went straight to Paloa's nose, which Cause makes, makes sense because dogs have a much stronger sense of smell than humans. Yeah. And then they think that Michael actually knew that Lori was actually playing dirty. So Nick gets a call from Jesse Menken, the, the, the tech that was actually going through the dog. A golden retriever was picked up in the park and brought to the lab. And the tags on the dog says Kalua, and they signed out that the dog was adopted by Michael on the same day of the murder. So Nick finds out that the, this dog has a broken teeth. And Jesse leads the dog to a kennel and then she fires a gun. And the noise from the dog from the gunshot completely turns the turns the dog into a completely different dog. Maybe. And so it goes into a fighting stance. Yeah. 
So Jesse says that likely that it was likely that the replacement for Kalula was abused in the past. So the replacement for Kalula was abused in the past. So the sound of gunshots will trigger. And she also says that if the shelter knew about the aggression, they wouldn't put her up for adoption, which makes sense. So Nick and Sarah actually realized that Michael broke into the house to switch the dogs to take the real Kalua with him. But alarm alerted Lori and then Lori fired the gun during their fight. And then the dog actually went into a fit of rage and attacked it and attacked her and then left the house. And then once everything was over, Kaloa came out of hiding, smelled the bodies, and then went into hiding until the police arrived. Which completely makes sense. I mean, kind of like Kaloa was saying goodbye to them. So, Brie, what are we talking about next week? We'll talk about the friendship between Greg and Yeah, kind of like a warm-up for the return of Greg Sandler's on CSI Vegas on yep, March. Yep, which, which is happening three days after my birthday. Yeah, so... And happens the day before the second end of Rushy when CSI Vegas was announced. So thank you guys so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. We love you. Bye. Love y'all. Bye.